Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Father God, we thank you. We exalt your name at this moment. We just magnify you. We glorify you. And I will come to you, Holy Spirit of God, to receive instructions. And I will be able to live the life you've ordained for us. Empower and equip us even now through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to continue. We're almost rounding up now. Some of you will say, why is this subject still continuing? Uh, biblical language in numbers. We're going to be dealing with number 70 and number 80 today. Uh, like I said, I'm going to end with number 100. We'll come to 100, and uh, perhaps I will touch 1,000. And that will be okay for you. So that when you read 100 or you see thousands, you should be able to understand what God is talking about. Amen? Alright, so we're dealing with number 70 today, and then number uh, 80. Now, 70 is, uh, is basically a combination of two numbers. It's which is 7 and 10. And we know that um, 7 speaks of perfection. Number 7 speaks of perfection. Then number 10 speaks of completeness of God's law. So, when you mean the two together, 70 will stand for spiritual order, carried out with all powers. It can also mean judgment. Just take those one numbers and a simple definition. And then we're going to look at a few examples from the Bible where the word 70 is used and then see how it applies. Praise the Lord. Are we there? Right. Now, if you take time to study scripture, you're able to see, I want to just mention a few scriptures or places where the world, or the figure of 70 is used. When you take time to study scriptures, you find that. Um, a total of 70 Israelites started a nation within a nation that grew into about 2 million as when Joseph got into power in Egypt. And then Jacob migrated to Egypt with his family into the new land. But the people that got to Egypt when Joseph was in power, there were 70 people. And that is very, very significant. 70 people. Right? Praise the Lord. And from that 70, they grew to about 2 million when Joseph was in power in Egypt. You know, the oppression of the Egyptians on, on the children of Israel began to happen when Joseph died. The Bible says another pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. That's where that trouble started. So sometimes you see they said they were oppressed for 400 years. Other place you read for 430 years. The thing is they were already about 30 years in the land before the oppression began. That's why you see when you read you can go know, uh, 430. Because within the period they were already there before the oppression began. Hallelujah. 
The promise to Abraham was that they're going to be there for 400 years. But they were actually there for 430 years because they already arrived in Egypt. You know, and they were already in Egypt before Joseph passed away, before another Pharaoh arose. So that 430, the 30 you see in there was an addition of the years they were already there before another Pharaoh came into power. But what I'm trying to make you understand that there were 70 souls that got to Egypt as at the time Joseph was in power. And so we had a nation within another nation when they came into the place. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, we have what you have the law court of Israel. When I talk about the law court of Israel, I mean the judgment seat. Have you ever read in the scripture about Sahendrin? Tell a person to take that child down to the mark. Let the child sleep. Have you read about the Sahendrin in the Bible? The Sahendrin were made up of I saw of the high chief, I mean the high priest. We are made up of 70 people. 70 judges constituted the Sanhedrin. That speaks of a place of power, place of authority, place of dominion. So we have 70 people that constituted the, the, the Sanhedrin. No, this is like a great tribunal. Praise the living God. Look at Exodus 24 verse number 1. And then Numbers 11 verse 16. 24 verse number 1. And he said unto me, Come up unto me, thou and Aaron, and Nadab, Albinab, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship after me, or before me. Is that okay? But you are part, as the case may be. Seventy elders of Israel. That's the point I'm trying to make. This was the strongest body. Okay? Go to Numbers 11. Look at verse 16. Numbers 11 verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand with that there with thee. Seventy elders. I'm saying these seventy elders... Uh, the body that constituted that strongest and highest authority in Israel that was called the Sanhedrin at the end of the day. Now, this same body of the Sanhedrin or elders are the people that really hated Jesus. In terms of those who really hated him the most, it was this camp of people, the Sanhedrins. Praise the living God. Amen? When you take time to study in the New Testament, that's what you see. They hated Jesus the most, these people. And the one who actually, that, actually determined he'd be killed. It was from the court of the Sanhedrin. They were they had a lot of power. And they were 17. Right? They lied against him. They, 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 they false witness against him. Everything. Now, it's all because they were already intimidated. They were seeing a power rising in the life of Christ. Remember, the Bible made us understand that a lot of people were not going toward Jesus. Is that okay? Right. So they were intimidated. They were afraid. The power of being eroded. And so they tried everything to see 
how that it should be killed. And that's why when you read the scripture, I told you here sometime, when you read that if the princes of this world have known the Lord of glory, they would not have crucified him. They have known who they were. If they have known what will happen at the end, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They never knew who Jesus was. They didn't know why he came. But these are actually the people, when talking about the prince of this world, he's not talking about the devil. He was talking about the Sahendrin court. They were the ones that determined if Jesus was to be killed or not. It was in the position. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. Now, if you also take time to study the scripture, you find that Jesus gave about 70 parables. We don't have time to read all of that. But you take time to study Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke. All the parables put together, they are about 70. They are about 70. Praise the Lord. Are we here? Alright. So, I'm just giving you some background. We're not going to spend much time today. Alright. So you have about 70 parables. Take time to read. I don't feel I have to put all of those things up. But if you take time to study from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you find that Jesus gave about 70 parables in the Bible. Praise the Lord. And that also means something very significant. Why is it up to that level? Why is it not less than that level? You know, it's very significant. Like I said, you find that the 70 people went to Egypt and they become a nation within another nation. You see? And then, by the time you look at what we just read, the 70 elders of Israel, they were the strongest authority in the land that can determine the fate of anybody. Praise the Lord. Are we still here? All right. If you take time to read uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, Ezekiel chapter 18, you're going to see where, we don't have time to read all of that. That's where Ezekiel got the vision of Israel defiling themselves, especially with the, with the leadership. Just look at verse 1, let's see. Ezekiel 18 verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, What meaning yet that use this proverb against the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten the salt grapes, and the children teeth are dead. You take and read all of those things, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. At the end of the day, you discover that it's coming to deal with the issue of the 70 elders. Praise the living God. Okay. Go with me to Exodus 24 verse 9. Back again to Exodus 24 verse 9. Twenty-four verse number nine. Verse nine. They went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. Look at the next thing. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of the cypher's throne, and it were the body of heaven in his cleanness. I've explained this in one of my teachings. So, they saw the God of heaven, they saw his feet, 
What the seventy elders really saw here was not an image. They were seeing you and I. We are the body of heaven. In its cleanness, what it means is in the state of perfection. Just like the scripture we said, Jesus is watching the church or the bride that he may present it to himself as what? A spot without wrinkle. Body of cleanliness. That's the body of heaven. That is why you read Revelation 21. Talks about coming down and it was transparent as glass. Is that okay? That's the body of heaven. So what the 70 elders saw was actually the church in these latter days, as he will. He wasn't talking about something up there mystical. No, he was talking about you and I. And now if you permit me to speak here, I will let you know that as far as God is concerned, you have no spot, you have no wrinkle. <laughs> and that will be like way far off for some of you. But that's the simple truth. When God looks down on the earth, he's not seeing a dirty church. He's seeing a cleansed church through the power of the blood of Jesus. A church that is washed in the blood. You know, we think about being washed in the blood, isn't it? Now, we sing all of those things being washed in the blood, but we don't believe that we're washed. We still believe that we are dirty. We still believe, but we talk about the powerful blood of Jesus, how the blood wash you, you know, as clean as snow. I think they say him like that. Wash me life. We sing all of those things. But, you see, when do you think it's going to happen? For you, it's maybe when you get to heaven. Now, part of what you're suffering from is actually what you call the flesh. And the flesh is not just this body. The flesh is a system of life. Is that okay? That's what is troubling you. That's what gives you all of those thoughts and all of those things. It's the way of life. That's what you call the flesh. You know, let me show you something now. We'll come back to that. Philippians 3. Philippians 3 verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, it's not grievous, but for you, it is safe. <laughs> Praise the living God. The same thing to you. So sometimes, like I said, if you follow in my teachings, there are some things I repeat over and over and over and over again. One of the, that's what Paul is trying to say here. I've written this, I'm writing it again and again and again. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Is that okay? So, there are things you hear now, you hear them again, they begin to sink in. And Paul said, I'm writing this thing to you. Indeed, it's not grievous, it's not a burden. I'm doing it for a purpose. Look at the next thing. Verse, yeah. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the circumcision or concision. Beware of dogs. What dogs? What do you think is that? Okay, beware of dogs. Don't have dog around you. Is that what Paul was talking about? No. Time will not permit us, but if you take time to read, thank you, Lord. If you look at Psalm 22, you understand this. Say the dog licks his sores. The dog that licks his sores, the whole of Psalm 22 was talking about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The sores of Jesus were the wounds in his hand and his legs. The dog licks its sores. Is that okay? Right. And the same dog, you also find the book of Luke. Hmm? 
Okay, anyway, let's forget about that. Go to, go to find out who the dogs are. Verse 3. For we are this concision, talking about concision and circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence where? In the flesh. Now, let's define what the flesh is now. Look at it. Look at the flesh now. Verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he had thereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. What flesh? I want you to follow it. If we want to talk about boasting in the flesh, I will boast the more. So what flesh? What are you talking about? Look at the next thing. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. That's the flesh. <laughs> so it's a mindset. Is that okay? Right. It's a system. You know, so when you walk by the system of this world, you walk into the flesh. The flesh has nothing to do with it. Because the real flesh that you were supposed to be thinking about was crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6. Is that okay? So whatever is troubling you is the system of the world that you have come to believe into. It has nothing to do with your spirit. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It's just bombarding you. The environment just bombarding you. Now you see, everything that Paul was talking about here was, it has to do with who he was as a Pharisee. And he called out flesh. You understand this? <laughs> Praise the living God. So I'm trying to make you see this to let you know that as far as you are concerned, when God looks down from heaven, he's not seeing a dirty church, he's seeing a clean church. By the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, that you may wash me as white as snow. So we sing it thinking that it's something that's going to happen tomorrow. No, it's already happened. Right from the cross, you've been washed as white as snow. Not tomorrow. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come, let's reason together. How I many of you remember that? Look of Sam. If your sins be as red as crimson, they shall be white as snow. If they be this, right? And, and, and you see, think about that today. No, you can be thinking about that. The reason it took place on the cross, you just agreed with Christ, and the blood came and washed you clean as snow. You are as white as snow right now. But the problem is you don't see this. And why is it that you're not seeing it? Religion have deceived you into thinking that you're a filthy human being. I don't know if you're getting this. Praise God. I remember mentioning here to you some time ago when the Bible said, be ye holy. It's not just talking about try to be holy, do something to be holy. You know, don't smile, try to be holy. You know, when you shake somebody, don't shake with the hand. You understand that? Try to be holy. Act like social distancing. You know, so COVID-19 is helping people to be holy now. That is not holiness. Be a holy even as your father in heaven is holy. So the question is, how holy is God? Is it because men send you social distancing? <laughs> Hallelujah. 
The nature of God is holiness. And he has imputed to you everything that he has. That's why the Bible says you have received what the divine nature. That's what you have. You don't have two natures. You have one. You have one nature, not two. And that nature is a divine one. And God cannot give you anything less than who he is. That's why he has his son. So you must well believe this. Now, the, the point is this. It's what you believe that enables you to live the life that you are supposed to live. Are you following what I'm saying here? Praise the Lord. So then, by the flesh, they went up and they saw the body of heaven in what? In its clearness. They saw the glory. They saw all that the church was going to become. God, What God has ordained the church for to be. They saw that through the blood of Jesus. That's the body of heaven in its clearness. Hmm? What's the body of earth? You have the body of heaven, you have the body of earth. It's just like you have New Jerusalem, you have Old Jerusalem. Is that okay? The Old Jerusalem is what Paul was talking about. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee. And he was now in the in the in the in that court, in that in that judgment seat as a Sahendrin, because it was a Sahendrin. You know, so he was among the 70 elders. This is why he discovered that in Acts 7, he could come with Stephen and then stand there and say, let us stone him. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay. So, they went and they saw 70 elders, Matthew 24, 9 and 10. And they saw the body of heaven in its cleanness, like Psalms trying to explain. Verse 11. Exodus 24 verse 11 now. And upon the nobles of Israel, or children of Israel, he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink with him. They eat and drink, if you will. So here again you find that when you talk about eating and drinking, that is where I try sometimes to find out from you what you understand about eating and drinking. Eating and drinking means a covenant. Right? We eat and drink with somebody, you are entering a covenant with that individual. That's what it means. Food was used as a covenant in the early times. Praise the living God. Are you following this? I need you to understand what I'm talking about so that you will know exactly who you are, where you are, and where you're supposed to be experiencing as a child of God. So they ate and they drank. Now, if eating and drinking means literal thing, the way we have, oh help me Jesus. The way we have always believed this, now let me tell you, <laughs> it simply means you feeling God came down and there was a table prepared and God was sitting with the people. Is that what you're thinking about that? No. But ain't I covenant with him? It is the same thing Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's eating and drink with him. Romans, I mean Revelation uh, chapter what? Chapter 3 verse 21. Yeah, look at Roman, I mean Revelation 3 verse 21. Let me show you. So in the Old Testament, this was the Old Testament, they out and they drank with Jesus. I mean, with, with God. As Yahweh now. But look at this. Revelation 3, 21. To him that of a comment, will I grant to sit with me in my throne? No, no, no. I'm talking about, sorry. A standard, they don't knock in. 20. Yeah, verse 20, please. Behold, I stand at the door. And knock, if any man hear my voice, 
and open the door. You know how we read it? We don't read it correct. We say, I will come and stop with him. No. I will come into him. He didn't say, I will come and stop with him. No, 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 no. If any man opened it, I will come in to him. And what's the next thing that will happen? And we stop with him and he with me. So the same fellowship you find the 70 elders had in Israel is what Jesus is promising to the New Testament believer. Is that okay? The sub there means to eat. To fellowship with him. I will come in to him. And I will just come in. No, it is I will come in. But I will come in to him. Praise the living God. Are we here? Alright. So that's exactly what you mean. So 70 elders went up there. They saw the glory of God. And they dying at the earth with the Lord. In other words, there was a covenant entered into. And so what is that supposed to speak for? For me, when we start dealing with the issue of 70, you're talking about coming to a place of authority and power as you fellowship with God. As you begin to dine and eat with Him. Here in that dimension again, walking in that realm, you're coming to the place of seeing things that ordinarily you could not have seen. You can see something so far off. Praise the Lord. Amen? Alright. If you take time to read Jeremiah 29, just look at verse 10. Jeremiah 29, verse number 10. For thus said the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work towards you in causing you to return to this place. After 70 years. Right? So again we find that 70 could speak of bondage. Is that okay? Right. Captivity, slavery. That, this is how it relates to Jerusalem now. And one of the reasons why, how I many of you understand the reason why God took them into captivity? It was because they refused to observe the Sabbath by allowing the land to follow for the number of years God said it should have. As we are like the book of Leviticus 25. They will not allow the land to remain fallow. They will not allow the land to rest. God said, hey, 49 years you can find, but after that, don't allow, don't do anything. You're going to eat. You understand that? 50 years becomes year of jubilee. Let the land rest and all of those things. Israel will not. And that is the same thing we do today. God will tell you, give me one day of the week. Just have some time to fellowship with me. No, you're busy. You're busy. Hmm? God will tell you, come. How many of you know the, the story of Luke? I mean, um, I think Luke 10. Yeah. We have uh, Mary and Martha. You know the story? You know the story? Luke. Right. Luke chapter 10. Is it verse 32? What verse is that? Okay. 12? Right. Let's read it from the Amplifier. If you can put it from the Amplifier. I want to show you something there. Very powerful. Luke 10. This is what we do. When God is saying, come fellowship with me. Let's is the word. Luke 10, brother. Amplify translation, if you can get it. Okay, 10, 12. Uh, yeah. Just take it from... Yeah. What is that? Go into this verse. Let me see. Verse 13. Is that what you mean? No. 
No, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm dealing with the picture where you have the story of Mary and Martha. Yeah. Now, what I wanted to bring out to you is the Bible tells us that Martha, I mean, Mary had chosen the good part, but there's one part I want you to understand from that passage. Especially if you read it from the Amplified Translation. You begin to see that one of the major things is Okay, we can take it from verse 38. Thank you. Now when they were eating, or called that Jesus entered a certain village and a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. Thank you. That's Luke 10, 38, right? Look at the next verse. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with more seven. And she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister have left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me to lend a hand and do her part along with me. Can you imagine this? Here is, here is Martha instructing Jesus what to do. Why? Because she is busy. What was he busy for now? Let's look at the next thing. Some of you get so busy. Business food. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about what? Many things. Many things. Many things. Many things. What's the next thing? There is need of only one but, or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion that which is to her advantage, which shall not be taken away from her. To her advantage. And that is to say most times when you get too busy outside of what God intends you to do, you just getting yourself disadvantaged. What was it that Mary was doing? She was listening to what Jesus was saying. But Martha was busy cooking the food. Praise the Lord. Are we still here? So, you just need to come to that place of knowing that there's a place of relationship. Don't forget what he said. If you open the door, I will come in to him and die with him and eat with him. And that is basically fellowshipping around the world. Sharing his mind with you. Giving you his clear, undiluted vision. That's what he's looking for. And some of you don't have time for that. You're too busy. Either business is keeping you or food is keeping you. Huh? God said no. Your sister have chosen something by far better than what you're doing now. And the thing she has chosen is to her own word advantage. Hallelujah. So what am I trying to say? Israel got into captivity for 70 years because they failed to keep the Sabbath of the Lord. So God said, I'm going to get you out of this land so that the land can rest. You see that? 
I'm taking you out of the land so that the land can rest. I said, let this land rest. You won't allow the land to rest. So go into captivity. Let the land rest for 70 years. And after you come back. You see that? I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying now. So the 70 years they spent in Babylon was because they failed to keep the word of the Lord that said, keep my Sabbath. Let the land be holy. I mean, just allow it. They failed to do that. Just say, you go into captivity so that the land can rest. By the time you, the land have rested enough, you can come back. And that's the point. Sometimes when we go into problems, into difficult situation, it's not just about the devil. It's God picking the enemy to do that to us so that we can think back. We can't. You see, this is what Daniel read. Now, you remember, the Bible says, Daniel read according to the books and he find that God said after 70 years, he'll go back. And that's why I have to pray. So he read it from the book of Jeremiah. Now, this is a vital important, vitally important for you to understand. If Daniel have not read, this is it. I was sharing this over the important This book is not a book you read to find what you can use to accuse anybody else. No. It's a book you read to discover who you are. It's about you. It's about your inheritance. It's about what God has written concerning you. See yourself in the book. Don't see other people. There are people who read the Bible. They're just looking for what they can use to attack other ministry or attack other people. No. Find yourself in the will. Find the will of God. And if you're not reading the Bible, you can't even know what God has for you. If Daniel had not read the book, how will he know that 70 years was determined for them to go back? And you see, the prayer of Daniel was so answered quickly because why? God also is a faithful God who keeps his word. So if you want God to walk on your behalf so quickly, read the book. They want to pray based on the book. This is what you said. Praise the loving God. Are we still here? So, what did I say is supposed to be 70? If I move to 80. Let me just go to 80. Then I'll tap it up all together. Number 80. Let's go to number 80. What is 80? 80, you find that in building the lost temple, the tabernacle in Israel, they use 80,000 of foreigners in digging stones out of the quarries. You can find that in 1 Kings 5 verse 15. 80,000 foreigners. That's 80 times 100. You got 80,000. That's what they use. Foreigners in digging out stones. 1 Kings chapter 5 verse 15. But let me read another interesting story for you here. Did, are you there in first king? And Solomon had 70,000 body bearers and 80,000 hewers of stone in the hill control of Judah. 80,000. That's from 80. Alright? Now, let me read this story very fast for you here. Concerning one man called Ishmael. Not Ishmael, which is the... No. Jeremiah 41, look at verse 2. Jeremiah 41, verse 2. Bible says, 
No, just King James. Then arose Ishmael, the son of Nathaniel, and ten men that were with him, and smote Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with a sword, and slew him, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also slew all the Jews that were with him, even with Gedaliah at Mizpah, and the Kyrians that were found there, and the men of war. And it came to pass the second day after he had slain Gedaliah, and no man knew it, that they came starting from Sikkim, from Shiloh, and from Samaria, even four score men. How many of them? Eighty men, having their beard shaven and their clothes rent, and having come themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. And Ishmael saw the son of Nathaniah went forth from Mismar to meet them, weeping all along as he went. And it came to pass, as he met them, he said unto them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And it was so, when they came into the midst of the city, that Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, slew them, and cast them into the midst of the pit, he and the men had prepared as it were. Eighty men came morning, and this man slew them. I'm just giving you some of the places where eighty is used. So, have 80,000 that use stones, foreigners, and there's 80 number of persons that Ishmael also slaughtered. But let's look at Psalm 90, verse number 9. I'll read it from verse number 8, if you will. Psalm 90, verse number 8. Now, thou hast said our iniquities before. Thee are sacred sins in the light of thy countenance. And then verse 10 says, of verse 9, For in our days, for all our days are passed away in thy rot. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Verse 10, The days of our years are threescore years. And 10, that's 70. And if our reason of strength, they are be for, they be what? Four score years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and will fly away. Now, what he's trying to say is the natural man, by strength, by effort, can extend his years to 80 years. Is that okay? Right. So, 80 speaks of the number that man similarly was supposed to live on the face of the earth. Praise the Lord. Okay. Let's look at Second Chronicles 26. But this is a long reading, so I just write it down. Second Chronicles 26, 1 to 15. We may not have time to read all of that. Amen. Now, what happened here is, King Uzziah did something funny. He was uh, the king of Judah. He won several battles against his enemies. But he became filled with vanity and pride. King Uzziah. Second Chronicles 26, 1 to 15. Is that okay? So what was it that happened? He won so many battles and he came to a point that he decided to go and offer incense upon the altar. You know the story, right? Good. Right. And this was confronted by the high priest. And 80 other priests confronted him. That we are not supposed to do this. 
The king got angry with the priest. But yeah, the Bible says he was struck with leprosy right there. Because that was not what he was supposed to do. He was a king and not to offer incense upon the altar. So apart from the high priest, 80 other priests came and confronted him. Right. So now, what is the benefit of 80 to us? 80 could speak of freedom just like he spoke of oppression. Or oppressors, if you will. Praise the Lord. Are we here? Right. You see, Moses was 80 years and his elder brother Aaron was 83 years when they stood before Pharaoh to let Israel go from the Egypt bondage that they were in. Look at Exodus 7 verse 7. Exodus 7 verse number 7. And Moses was four score years old. And Aaron four score and three years old when they spake unto who? Unto Pharaoh. What was it that he was speaking to Pharaoh about? Deliverance. Freedom from the bondage. Isn't it? Praise the Lord. So, at 80, he was able to stand before Pharaoh to say, let my people go. So, 80 could stand for freedom. He representing the children of God, sending them free from the bondage of Pharaoh at age 80. Now we even tell us something that if we truly believe in God, it's not about 60 years, it's not about 70 years. As if Moses started life at 80. Am I right? That is when he started ministry at 80. To set a whole nation free at 80. So, you haven't started anything yet. Therefore, don't think of death. <laughs> Somebody knows exactly where I'm going to now. Is that okay? Yeah, it is commonly said life starts at 40, yes, but. For some of us, life is starting at 80. That's when we are to do what God wants us to do. For Abraham, life started at 90 or 100 when the promise came. How many of you remember that? The true life begins when God speaks to you. Hallelujah. That's when your real life begins. So at 80, he will go and confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. For Moses, life started at 80. But that is when the real thing that he was born for came into being. Are you still getting this? So you are too young to die. I say you are too young to die. <laughs> Because you have work to do. If you understand what it means that you are anointed, you are called of God, 
And that the grace of God will pour your life to do specific things for Him. Understand this fact. You are too young to die. You came here for a purpose. You came here for a reason. Amen. Let's let's just chuckle some scriptures here. See how 50 minutes more. Give me that Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I just want to read something there. Read it from King James, you read it from Amplifier, read it from any other translation. I want to show you something. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because what? He has anointed me to preach the gospel. The word I want you to pick there is the word anoint. Go to any other translation again. Outside of the kingdoms. I want you to see the word anoint, what it means. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Okay? This one I see using the word anointing. Go to any other translation. Either good news, whatever. I want to show you the meaning of the word anoint. Any other translation. What is it? Now go to good news. Other good news. Uh, the word anoint, if you check other translation, actually means to choose. Is that okay? So when he said his peace upon me because he has chosen me. Check in other translation you want to see there. That's the thing I really want to bring out. Okay, here is good news translation. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has chosen me to bring good news. So the word anoint means to do what? To choose. Is that okay? Right. You find the same thing in Isaiah 45 verse number 1 when God was talking about King Cyrus. I chose him. But King James said, it's my anointed. Is that okay? So the word anointing means what? A choice. The choice of God to be chosen. By that, now you see Moses was chosen to go deliver the children of Israel from bondage. At age 18, you always ask yourself this question, what am I chosen for? And if you have not found the very reason why you've been chosen, or what you're chosen for, then you have more years to go. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the living God. Because that's when your life begins. So for now, you are not living yet. Because you have not stepped into what God chose you for. Why you came in here, you haven't seen it. So, Moses was 80 when he started his own life ministry, if you will. And then he did all that he did. Praise the living God. Alright, now let me read this story for you. There's a man called Ehud in the Bible. Ehud was a king. He was a judge in Israel. He was a left-handed warrior in Israel. He also said the children of Israel free. In the seven years of captivity to the Moabites. Let's look at Judges 3 verse number 12. Let me read from verse number 12. Judges 3 from verse number 12. The book of Judges chapter 3 verse number 12. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon the king of Moab against Israel. Because they have done evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord strengthened Eglon. That is to say, Eglon does not have his own power 
to fight with Israel. But because they did that which was wrong in his sight, what did he do? He strengthened the enemy to oppress them. Hallelujah. But said he said, and he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Melech, and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. Verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, how many years? 18 years. I told you before that 18 speaks of bondage. Remember that? Yeah. Infirmity. Remember that was in the temple. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamin, a man left-handed. And by him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Now this was a trick. Ehud was a left-handed warrior in Israel. If you take time to read, so what happened? When he got to the place to present a gift, the other man was very hefty, the king, Eglon. And then he went with him. You know, your son took a sharp knife, just pushed the whole thing right into the man's stomach, closed it up, and then he left. He used the left hand, killed the man, the king there. Praise the Lord. But there's this interesting thing about him. He judged Israel for 80 years. He's the longest, was the longest serving judge in Israel. Longer than even Samuel. The longest serving judge in Israel was Ehud. Moses was 80 when he went to deliver the people. Ehud served delivering, if you will, the children of Israel as a judge for how many years? 80 years. So, you find that 80 is speaking actually of freedom, just like you can speak of oppression as well, but precisely 70. Bondage. Praise the living God. You following this? So I want you to get this fast right. If God is starting showing you any of those scriptures, any of these passages telling you about these things, then you begin to find out what God is saying to you. Like I said in the beginning, 70 is perfection. Because 7 is perfection, like I said, and 10 is completeness of God's laws. So 70 is a spiritual order. That is carried out with all powers. He can also speak of judgment. But they say there is something about 70 that is so strong. It speaks of power. Like we said before. 70 elders. Is that okay? 70 parables by Jesus. There is something connected to that. That releases power into your life. Not just bondage alone. Like we said about 80. We should be able to understand exactly. And like we said 70. You know, souls went to Egypt and then they formed a nation within a nation. The sons of Jacob. Is that okay? Right. Seventy of them went there and then a nation formed within the nation of Egypt. And so, especially when uh, Joseph was in power. And like we said again, the court of Israel had the seventy Sahendrins, right, that were ruling place of power. That's what I said. So we talk about freedom, we talk about power. They are all connected to that uh, particular number and it's important to understand it and then like I said what is important to me about 80 is the place of assignment the place of assuming or taking up the responsibility based on the call of God upon your life so if God begins to show you 80 then you begin to understand what he intends to do with your life at that particular time 
In other words, he wants you to step up into the ultimate reason why you were created, why you were designed, what he needed you for to do in life. And that's why you see Ehud have to rule Israel for 80 good years. And Moses had to be 80 to be able to go and stand before Pharaoh. And the A brother and the senior brother were 83. They went and stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Place of assignment, of fulfillment of assignment, the reality of your true life comes in. And like I said, we have to start life maybe at 80. So you are just too young to pass on. There is still a lot for you to do. If Moses could start ministry, start life at the age of 80, I am saying your strength will not abate in the name of Jesus. Your strength will not fail you in the name of Jesus. Great strength and power and life will continue to come to you in the name of Jesus. Because if Moses could start at that time, you also can. And I love what Caleb was saying. Come on now, you need to understand now the language of Caleb. I was 40 when God spoke to you to tell me to give me this mountain. Now I'm 80 what? God, come on now. Are you seeing that? 80, I need to possess now. Glory to God. You see what I'm trying to sell you? Right. So Caleb also experienced that. Praise the Lord. I'm now 85. It's time for me to possess my possession. Moses 80, Aaron 83. They went and stood before Pharaoh. Let these people go. What belongs to God must be given to God at this moment. And Caleb said, Moses, I mean Joshua, I remember this. Moses said it. God told him, this mountain belongs to me. And when he said that, I was 40 years old. Now I'm 85. It is time. So I tell you, there is something about 80 and above. It's no time to fail. Your eyes will not fail you. Your body will not fail you. Strength will come to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. This is I'm saying. They are vitally important. I was sharing with somebody today. And I made the person understand. Mind those who prophesy over you. And what they prophesy. Because every word that is prophesied. Goes up into the future. To hold on to you. You see, that's why you see in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, when he talks about the year Uzziah died and saw the train, the glory of the Lord. The train and the glory of the Lord. The train was actually the glory of the Lord. The miracle, the signs and wonder that the Lord performing. He said that in John chapter 6. But the people will not believe. Why would they not believe when he was seeing the glory? Because Isaiah said, seeing they will see, they will not believe. Hearing they will hear. You understand that? So the prophecy of Isaiah made them dumb and deaf. Even though they saw the train, which is the glory of God, doing the signs and wonders and miracles, your mind will prophesy over your head. Because every prophecy goes to the future to wait for you. But I am saying, therefore, you have life to live. I say you have life to live. Good days are ahead of you. Your strength will not fail you. Energy is coming to your life. Resurrection power is coming to your life. For the spirit that raised up Christ was in you, he shall quicken even your mortal body. So let sickness disappear. Let pain disappear. Let pain disappear. Enter into your new season. There is life for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Let this world begin to impact your body. 
Let the light of God begin to impact your body. Let transformation begin to take place in your body. I decree healing for you. I decree freedom for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. That's the same voice of Moses saying, let my people go. So every sickness holding you back, I say, let my people go. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, mighty Father. Anything that is holding you back, I release the same spirit, the voice of Moses right now, saying, be free from that oppression. Be free from that spirit. Be free from that bondage. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, mighty Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.